Welcome in everyone to this episode of the Batfoot Podcast. My name is Damon here with my co-hosts David and Matt. Have a jam-packed episode today. Gonna have some smaller moves. We got the reliever market jumping off. Uh, we had the qualifying offer deadline coming past. We've had some free agent signings, some trades, non-tenders, and a bunch more to talk about. Before we get to all that, how you doing, David? I'm doing good. Uh, it's good to get the offseason started. It's been a little bit slow, but... I think uh, as we hit the winter meetings here next week, things are about to get really exciting, and um, you know, just following these baseball moves, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be wild. Uh, how we doing, Matt? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, just had a had a pretty good week and uh, hanging out. Um, glad that we're uh, glad that we're back this week after taking last week off. I'm uh, ready to get started here. Yeah, I felt like it it allowed a lot more stuff to happen. So we have a, a you know really packed episode for uh, for us to start with, but. We'll go ahead and go over to the uh, kind of in chronological order of how things happened a little bit. But we'll start with the Rangers acquiring Jacob Arizzi for Colby Allard. Matt, you know a lot about both these players. Allard used to be a process for, or a prospect for the Braves. Jacob Arizzi was just on the Braves. They made a trade for it with each other. So, you know, give us some insight on that one. Yeah. So uh, this is a trade that works out for both sides. Um, Jacob Arizzi got traded midseason to Atlanta um, as a um, you know, after being with Houston last year and he really struggled with the Braves his walk rate went up a bit and it just, his stuff's just not that good anymore. Um, you know, had a 5.24 ERA in 46 innings with the Braves really got roughed up in, in several starts. Uh, in, in fact, the only start he really looked good. It was his last start, which was, uh, the clincher, the division clincher, uh, when he, of course facing the Marlins kind of not that big of a deal, but, uh, he, he's, he's going to be a, he's a, he's a solid number five piece, uh, for, for a rotation at this stage. And, um, you know, he, he had a, he had a buyout this year of $6 million on a player option. And a $12 million, the option was worth $12 million. So he went ahead and picked up his option, uh, basically believing that he wasn't going to get anything better than one for six, uh, signing somewhere else. And when he picked up his option, the Braves decided that, you know, with the rotation depth they have, they might as well move in with a little and try to, you know, save a little bit of money. So they sent $10 million and Jake Odorizzi to the Rangers, who obviously need pitching depth very badly. Um, so it's kind of a win-win there. The Braves saved a couple million, and they got back Colby Allard, who is kind of a quadruple-A prospect. Uh, there's something – he's a former top prospect. Uh, there's some things to like about him, but he's really, really, really struggled, especially at the big league level. Um, you know, he's been a he's been a, a mess at the big league level and, and really in triple-A in too. He's, he dealt with a lot of injuries after got, getting drafted um, early, and then he's just – you know, his velocity went away. And I mean, his velocity is low 90s, and he's just not—he's uh, just not all that that great at this stage. Projection systems actually kind of like him, which is kind of interesting. Uh, in fact, uh, like uh, the Steamer projection system has him with a sub four FIP next year, which is kind of interesting. But um, I definitely think it's just kind of a depth piece. Maybe you could figure something out with him in AAA. It's a guy they're familiar with, and they saved a little bit of cash, and the Rangers get a back into the rotation starter, which just kind of somebody that can, you know, eat innings for them, which is something they need. So uh, kind of a win-win. Yeah, it was an overall solid move um, for both sides. And then, you know, along with getting Colby Allard and trading Jake Odorizzi away, the Braves made a couple smaller moves as well, uh, re-signing Jesse Chavez to a minor league deal, um, and then making another bull- bullpen move and signing Nick Anderson 
formerly of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, to a deal that will pay him one hundred or eight hundred and seventy-five thousand if he's in the majors, and then one hundred eighty k if he's in the minors. Good buy low candidate, a guy who was a former closer, um, had a year or two there where he was one of the best relievers in baseball. So the Rays buying low on a relief pitcher that can help out in that bullpen that you know they always consistently seem to have a really good bullpen. Yeah, uh, Nick Anderson's a guy who in 2019, in, uh, between two teams, had a 235 FIP, a 332 ERA in 65 innings. And in 2020, um, was outstanding for the Rays uh, it, it, with an 055 ERA in 16 innings in the shortened season. Uh, and he's put up enormous strikeout numbers and very, very low walk rates. Uh, during his career so far, he's been one of the best relievers when he's pitched out there. But the thing is, when he's pitched, he's been injured a lot. Only pitched six innings in 2021, did not pitch in 2022. said tons of injuries. So a great by-low candidate. If he's kind of comes back to the 2019-2020 form, he could be an elite piece in that bullpen. If not, then he's, you know, just you're not really risking anything because it's a non-guaranteed contract. So... Uh, I'm surprised the Braves got him for this and, um, you know, great, good buy low. Yeah. David, you got anything you want to say? Jesse Chavez stunk with the Cubs last year and then went over to the Braves and was awesome. So him resigning with the Braves this early is pretty expected. And I think he'll uh, just, he'll try to make the team out of spring training. That one's an expected move that kind of helps jumpstart the, the relief pitching market. Yeah. I was going to say Jesse Chavez stunk with the Cubs, got traded to the Braves for Sean Newcomb was great with the Braves, then got traded to the Angels in the Rizal Iglesias trade, absolutely stunk with the Angels, got DFA'd, came back to the Braves, and was awesome again. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like there's no <laughs> chance he's going to pitch anymore if he's not with the Braves. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't expect him to be awesome. I think it's just – I think a little bit of it's probably just, you know, a little bit of uh, regression to the mean on both ends. But uh, but it was still – it was kind of funny how the Braves yeah. kept getting him back, and he just kept coming in and being good. So Yeah. And then, uh, David, you mentioned really, you know, jumpstarting the reliever market. And that was kind of really started by the San Diego Padres. They re-signed um, Robert Suarez to a five-year, $46 million deal, has an opt-out after the third season. And then also re-signed a guy who was in their bullpen this last year by Nick Martinez in a three-year, $26 million deal. Yeah, you know, and I think Edwin Diaz set the tone for the reliever market and the young relievers who are – uh, we're seeing really what we're seeing what is prioritized by these big teams, right? You're seeing that velocity is being prioritized with Diaz and Robert Suarez getting huge deals, and and we'll talk about Rafael Montero later, but him too. And then we're also seeing innings being prioritized. Nick Martinez was able to be kind of a swingman last year. He pitched 100 innings. He started 10 games. He also came out of the bullpen uh, for a bunch of games. So the the flexibility of Nick Martinez gets him a longer term deal coming out of Mexico. You know, he's, he'd been, or I think he actually was overseas in like Korea or Japan, but Martinez come back. He had had success this year. He's more of that swingman flexible role. The Padres bringing him back. They want that in their bullpen to assist with their starting pitching because it is a little bit older and a little bit more fickle. Um, but then, you know, like Robert Suarez is, was a fireballer. He was there lockdown guy coming down the stretch even after they required josh Hader, so um he was their like seventh eighth inning stopper and he's the one from mexico and this is a guy who had been um really dominant 
this season and and he's pretty much a relative unknown after that so to guarantee him 46 million dollars is pretty uh a pretty astounding trade i don't think he was going to get that from anyone else but the the padres are pretty intent on locking their guy up here yeah yeah if i can add i, I was gonna say i i really really think that that was him <laughs> am i am he might end up being great but that was a dumb contract to sign robert suarez to a five-year deal i mean <laughs> he is He's good. He was very good this year, and I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he's a good pitcher, but and he, he like like David said, he they're prioritizing velocity. He throws hard, but his peripherals were. I mean, they're good, but they're not like he's getting gonna get paid closer money, and his peripherals were not closer worthy. I mean, he was you know a a guy who's probably his expected numbers are all in the you know three three to three two to three three range um, ERA, which he you know he he had a two twenty seven ERA last year. And then his, um, you know, he only pitched 47 innings, and it's his entire career number. He's pitched 47 innings in his entire career. So, and he's age 31. You know, I, I know he throws hard, and he was really good in the postseason, but um, it just seems like, you know, paying him, what like, almost, what, $10 million a year almost is kind of uh, crazy. And, and, you know, even then, like, if he hits and does really well and he's worth that contract, he's gone after three. So it's like that just seems to me like a really, really bad so- contract. And then uh, the Nick Martinez thing, I- I'm fine with that. Um, you're paying him. It's kind of like the Jake Odorizzi thing. You're paying him, you know, what, about eight and a half million dollars on a, you know, on a, you know, for a fit number five starter slash swingman type guy. I think that's perfectly fine. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a good deal. But I-, I really don't understand the Robert Suarez contract. I think that's really, I mean, uh, you know, a little under $10 million isn't going to kill you if it's bad, but that still to me was a little bit too much. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do moving forward with him. Um, because you know, they have Josh Hader through this year. And then after that, if they move, they could potentially move Suarez to the closers role at, at that point. And maybe the deal doesn't look as bad at that point, but like you mentioned, it's a, it's a head scratching deal. Kind of just looking at off the one year, um, with how volatile major league relievers can be. Um, and being a 31 year old reliever, you're just not sure if he's going to have that same kind of production um, moving forward. But, yeah. Um, you know, staying in that reliever market, talking about a guy who who got paid. You're talking about Rafael Montero signing with or re-signing with the Houston Astros, three year, thirty four and a half million dollar deal. Um, a guy who struggled a lot, you know, bounced around through a few places, and then went to the Astros this year and had you know really electric season. And they decide to to repay him. Yeah, same same thing here with Rafael Montero, another guy who's got like the 90th percentile and above fastball velocity and spin rates. Um, but if Houston's paying somebody, I think they've they figured out what's making that guy tick. And you know, when you look at Rafael uh, Montero's baseball savant page, they're all the numbers are all way in the red. He's uh, he's got that high velocity whiff rate type of profile that the, the Astros are known for developing. And so to finally hit on a guy and then pay him 10 million a year, it's, it's the same type of thing here where, you know, how much is a really good relief pitching worth? And we're seeing with Suarez Montero and Edwin Diaz that this market is saying, you know, really good relief pitching. You can kind of pay for it. If you have that cash, uh, if you're the rest of your roster is kind of set, I, I don't think you can overspend for it, but like Matt said, the volatility of relievers in Major League Baseball is extremely high. 
and it gets really egregious really quickly if you're trying to pay $10 million to a guy who loses the strike zone. Yeah, and, and I mean, Montero is the same thing as Suarez to me. It's not quite as long of a deal, only three years, but it's real similar. I mean, he, this is a guy who from 2014 to 2021, you know, had a, had one season with a sub-3 ERA in 2019 in which he only pitched 29 innings. And other than that, I mean, he was above a four every year, ERA-wise. Uh, started off with the Mets, uh, actually spent part of the season as a um, – Started part, part part of the season as a starter uh, in 2017. I think he was actually a former high high end prospect when he came up with the Mets back in 2014. But uh, you know he he's had one good year. I mean he he went to Houston and they figured some things out with him. Uh, his fastball velocity went up some. You know he he worked on some things and had a really good year. Now could he do it again? Probably is possible. His peripherals were a lot better than Suarez's last year. But at the same time, you're talking about a guy who, I mean, 2021 had a 640 ERA. And you're talking about signing him to a $10 million a year deal as a reliever who's, you know, 31 year, 32 years old when the season starts. So, I mean, I, you know, I think he's probably got a better shot at, at keeping this up than Suarez does. But at the same time, like, to me, it just seems like, you know, I probably wouldn't have done that, but I mean, you know, that's just me. I, I, I am also snake bit by having watched Will Smith uh, pitch for the Braves for three years and how that contract turned out, uh, signing a reliever like that. I mean, you just never know with relievers. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's just one of those things. So, but uh, we'll see what happens. You never know. He, he might end up doing great. So uh, for, for three years and, and, but it just seems like, you know, especially for teams that are, you know, pretty high in payroll already and not a team that's gonna, you know, not a super high spending team either. I mean, the Astros, you know, usually are one of those teams that kind of butts up against the luxury tax, but doesn't go into it. I mean, paying $10 million is going to hurt, you know, if it's not a elite player, so, or elite, elite reliever. So uh, we'll see what happens with this. I only truly disagree with one thing you said there is that you know you met you kind of brought up the Will Smith comparison. Uh, Robert Suarez and Rafael Montero both throw ninety eight miles an hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they both throw seventy percent fastballs. It's it's not it's not nearly the well, same they, thing. If they stop doing that, there will be a problem. But as long as those guys are yeah. pumping ninety eight, they they'll be fine. Yeah, well, I mean, the the, track, the the stuff is different, but I think the track record, you know, of Will Smith too. I mean, he had been a closer for like, or maybe not a closer, but like a a high level elite reliever for like three or four years in a row before the Braves yeah. signed him, and that contract went badly. These guys have had a track record of like fifty innings of being yeah. good in the big leagues. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend on somebody who's been good for fifty innings. Well, maybe maybe my only thought before we try to move on here. Is that wouldn't you want? If, if you're worried about the the track record of Will Smith forcing you into overpaying, are the Padres and the Astros looking to get maybe the the continued ascension of a couple of guys they believe in? And I think that's probably what they're paying for here is guys who are on the rise, right? Where they know they've got a little more, a little, a few more adjustments they can make, a little more fastball spin they can unlock, something to that effect in order to to get more success out of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that, but when you're paying them as much as they're going to pay them, you know, ten million a year for a reliever, that seems to me like that's paying a guy who that's paying the numbers of a guy who would have a really good track record. 
I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's more of like if they were paying them, signing them to a multi-year deal that paid them, you know, two years in a club option and paid them $7 million or something, like maybe that's different. But, I mean, you're signing a guy, Robert Suarez, to a five-year deal who's paying him $10 million a year, mm-hmm. you know, off of a 40-inning sample size. I mean, it, it's just – it just, I mean, I know that I know the perif- I know the the uh, analytics on it are good and stuff, but the track records, I mean, of that is, I mean, they could lose it like immediately. I mean, right. you're looking at Rafael Montero, who's a guy who's, I mean, like I say, his best season in the big leagues was 2022. Before that, he had had a sub four ERA one time, and it was in 29 innings in 2019. Right. So, I mean, I I don't know. We'll see. Like I say, they might turn out great and. You know, the, the, it's possible that that Rafael Montero next year is pitches like Edwin Diaz did this year, and that twenty, you know, ten million dollars a year is what the Mets are paying twenty million dollars a year for. But it's, you know, you just you never know with relievers. But it's for me, it's just that's a lot of money to pay a relievers, mm-hmm. and with the volatility of relievers to start with, and even even them guys with a very short track record too. So, but we'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how these turn out. Yeah. So you know. One thing about that deal, which you know, it kind of leads into the to the next point that we're going to talk about there is who's really making the decisions in Houston, anyways, because they've now seen their general manager James Click, uh, who was just the World Series winning general manager. Uh, they offered him a one year extension to come back, and he has declined that. So as of right now, Houston doesn't have a GM, and I believe it's actually just Jim Crane that's actually operating the. Uh, the negotiations and stuff. If you guys have seen anything else about that, let me know. But I haven't seen anybody else that was supposedly in charge of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I heard a, uh, I saw something where they were, you know, criticizing crane and saying he was trying to be the next Jerry Jones. So I guess he's running things right now. So yeah, I mean, and he's the one that makes that call after watching the 2022 and he's given that, you know, the reliever $10 million at that point. I mean, it's a head scratching move because now they don't have anybody there. You know, it wasn't sure after winning the World Series. I mean, who was going to be the GM? We still don't know. There's rumblings about possibly David Stearns, but David Stearns has turned that down and saying that he's happy just to stay in an advisory role and doesn't want the day to day grind as much as what he was doing with Milwaukee beforehand. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, you know, with Houston moving forward in the general manager, president of baseball yeah. operations role. Yeah, and didn't um, didn't um, didn't they? And David would probably know this because I think it was actually Wilson Contreras, wasn't it? That that basically uh, Crane yep. vetoed the trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was Wilson Contreras for Jose Urquidy at the deadline. They they had it locked in until I think two hours before because the Christian Vasquez deal came together kind of quick, right at the deadline. And yeah, it was Wilson Contreras for Jose Urquidy straight up. Dusty Baker got with Jim Crane and talked him into vetoing it. So, um, yeah, I, as a, as a Cubs fan, I'm a little disappointed by that one. Cause Arkady was kind of a controlled starting pitcher. He's not like an upper end guy or anything, but boy, that sure would have helped us going forward into this season. Now they've kind of got that role to fill as well as something in the top of the rotation. So, uh, yeah, it's gotta be Jim Crane. Then you'd think that is making that kind of call. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like, you know, throughout this off season and into the, uh, into next season, you know, if they they still don't have anybody, you know, around the trade deadline or whatever, what that's going to look like. But 
Um, a little small move that we had happen was, you know, when the, the roster crunch was coming for the non-tender deadline, uh, which we'll talk about those names that got non-tendered a little later. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays ended up trading first baseman G-Man Choi to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I believe it was just for cash considerations, uh, just a roster crunch thing. But, um, you know, a, a notable name at least. This stinks. G-Man Choi is really good. He's going to face the Cubs a bunch next year, and I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, G-Man Choi is a guy with a long track record. It's a really good, uh, you know, platoon bat against right-handed pitching. That's why the Rays had him, because he's a great platoon bat, and that's what the Rays do is get great platoon bats. And uh, I guess they're just wanting to have a spot maybe for Isaac, Isaac uh, Paredes to play every day, or I, I'm not exactly sure. I know they needed a 40-man spot. They, they always have that crunch every year. But, um, you know, they moved on from G-Man Choi, who I think was – you know, very well liked there in, yeah, in their clubhouse, and I, I don't really understand too much why they moved on from him specifically. But uh, I mean, I guess um, you know, I guess if you're the Rays, you, I'm sure they got something in the plans lined up, so because they always do. But um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and doubt the Rays anymore. But um, yeah, I, I was a little confused yeah. about this. So the only yeah. thing to doubt about the Rays is their consistent like method of. With you know not ignoring the the player for the, um, like it's ignore, ignoring the player for the the numbers basically. G Man Choi said he wanted to retire as a Ray, and they shipped him to Pittsburgh, which is like the worst place you could send him. So yeah, yeah I think it what it was is just the the ARB numbers. Really, he was getting ready to enter his like last two years of ARB or something. That's yeah. when they get their big raises. So you know the yeah, Rays always could... pension the pennies or whatever. But you'd think the Rays could have worked out like a team friendly yeah. extension. I mean, you would think, but, but it's also the Rays. I mean, they work mysteriously. They do. Um, you know, so let's go ahead and jump over to our next next portion, and it's going to be with the qualifying offers um, in with it. Um, so, you know, looking at the list of names of the qualifying offer people, we had Aaron judge, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Jacob DeGrom, Danzy Swanson, Carlos Rodon, Brandon Nimmo, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bassett, Anthony Rizzo, Nathan Eovaldi, uh, Martin Perez, Jock Peterson, and Tyler Anderson. Um, now only two of those players actually accepted the qualifying offer that being Martin Perez and Jock Peterson. Um, and then one of them, which is Tyler Anderson decided to, Sign right before the deadline with the Angels. So we'll go ahead and start with Anderson, and then we'll jump back to the other two. Uh, but Tyler Anderson signs a three-year, $39 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, this is this is a pretty interesting deal. Um, the Angels, everyone knows that the Angels need pitching. And uh, I thought I think Tyler Anderson was, is a, a pretty good arm on the market. He's not a high strikeout guy, but he doesn't walk many guys. Um, you know, he's doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. Um, I know he had a great year for the Dodgers. He had a 257 ERA. His peripherals don't back that up. His peripherals do say he was really good. Um, you know, he's kind of a number four starter, probably maybe improved enough in 2022 stuff wise to become more of a number three starter. I mean, we'll see how it works out for the angels. Um, 13 million a year for three years for a number three, three or four starters, not too bad value. It's probably, you know, exactly how you should be valued. Um, I was a little bit surprised he turned down the qualifying offer. Honestly, I thought that he might take the one for, I think it's one for 19 and a half this year. It's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was a little surprised he turned that down. I mean, obviously, you know, he's going to get paid $39 million now instead of $20 million. So, um, 
but you know, I think he, you know, I, I guess he didn't feel like betting on himself was the right move, and he'd rather have that guaranteed, uh, you know, extra money, which I think is fair. Um, but we'll see what happens with him. Um, I think it's a pretty good move for the Angels. They obviously needed pitching, and they kind of went ahead, jumped on it, got a head start on that market. And, uh, you know, I think they got a pretty pretty fair deal on both sides there. Yeah, just listening to his, his press conference from it, he said he had negotiations with multiple teams. He wanted to sign before the, the trade or the uh, the qualifying offer deadline. So he had that to you know fall back into. But he said the Angels were the only team to go to three years for him. And that's really what he wanted. As soon as he got that third year, um, it was pretty much locked in from that point. Uh, he did say he had discussions on two-year deals with the Dodgers, but um, for it would have been roughly you know around the same AAV. But the third year is really the the you know protection that he wanted. That's uh it's it's one of those things where I don't believe that he's he's going to repeat those numbers without the Dodgers infield defense behind him there. So. Yeah, if Just the in general. Yeah, if the Angels if the Angels are healthy, they could have good defense in the infield cuz I mean when Rendon is healthy, he's a good third baseman and Fletcher's a good defensive player. Of course, part of it also depends on who's playing shortstop too. So, um, we don't know who that is. And this guy, he's pretty, you know, he's a fairly good fly ball pitcher too. Uh, you know, six he's only a 40% ground ball guy, so you know, with Trout out there and center and then um and then uh, I guess they traded their good defender, Brandon Marsh. So, um, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with with, with him. So, yeah, one, one thing, interesting. Oh, oh go, go ahead, Damien. Uh, let's just say the one interesting thing that I, you know, it, I just I actually just clicked into my head um, was if he didn't want to bet on himself because of the lack of the shift now, um, because yep. being a yep. soft contact guy. Uh, you know, being able to have those shifted infields and, and that that would help the tendencies there. Um, you know, that could be another reason of why pitchers might not want to take as many one-year deals this year. Especially as a guy who throws a lot of sinkers and doesn't throw very hard. Yeah. He gets a lot of rollovers and, you know, exactly. to the pull side too. He's not just a guy. I mean, if you're somebody who gets a lot of soft contact, but they throw really hard, you're going to get a lot of jam shots and nobody knows where it's going to go. So there's maybe not shifted quite as heavily, but or affected quite as heavily by the shift, but this guy is, is one that could probably be affected pretty heavy by it. I also, yeah, I was going to, I was going to tie this to get to the other qualifying offers because I did think he should have taken it because another year in front of the Dodgers feels like uh, a win, but he wanted the, that security obviously. And from the angels point of view, this doesn't really make sense because remember with the qualifying offer, you lose a draft pick. If you sign a qualified player, the angels are not really in a position to be giving up, picks because they're still kind of talent void in their in their system and then they've spent the last couple of years doing some like i don't want to call them like a meme draft but last year they they, they, two years ago they drafted all pitchers so this isn't really like an organization that needs to be giving away picks for three-year deals for three four starters you know what i mean listen it's it's an upgrade for them because they gave up a pick last year for a half season of noah syndergaard yeah. yeah, and I was, I was gonna say too. I mean, with the with the Angels, that like this might mean that they want to sign somebody big that's also rejected qualifying offer. Another guy. I mean, I don't know which one of them, but there's been a little bit of rumor that they're in. Maybe want to look at some, one of the shortstops. Um, so I don't know if that's gonna happen, but you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're if your only move is gonna be Tyler Anderson 
to blow your draft pick on that. Like if you're gonna yeah. sign him, I mean it. You know, center guard was was even a little bit different. Like because you thought that upside that if he could get back to his old form, he could be like you know he was an ace before. Tyler Anderson's never been an ace. He's kind of like those relievers we were talking about. He's had one good season, of course, with him being a starter. You know, you kind of think a little there. You know, might, might be a little bit more uh, reliable with, with that season he had last year. But like, you know, it's it's still. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I don't think they're done if they're going to sign a you know Tyler Anderson to blow their draft pick. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you know, jumping over to the accepted qualifying offer guys, and we'll go ahead and start with Martin Perez just to stay in the the pitching mold and. Um, David and I actually had some conversation about this as it was kind of all being discussed. I think it was a good move for Perez to accept the qualifying offer. Um, you know, a guy who had a career year and I believe that I believe David, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me here. Him accepting the qualifying offer for 19 and a half million is over double or close to double what his career earnings have been so far. Yeah. I think that's what we count that it was exactly double, but Man, I I can't believe he got the qualifying offer to begin with, and then on top of that, I mean, you know, what an opportunity to go ahead and grab it. I mean, the Rangers obviously need to lock down pitching, but that didn't seem like a great way to go about it. Um, no brainer for him. No brainer for Jock Peterson too. I am surprised that Chris Bassett and Nathan Evaldi both turned down the qualifying offer, though. They are getting older, but that doesn't seem to matter because the starting pitchers at the higher age can take the one year deal for a higher annual average value. So I'm, I don't know. It seemed like 20 million. I don't know if those guys are going to get 20 million for even like per year. Um, and I don't foresee any reason for them to fall off. So tying themselves to draft pick loss seems like a, a weak move. But if Martin Perez had done that, he his market would have been Texas and no one. So it, it's a good, it's a good move to go ahead and, uh, accept that qualifying offer for him yeah i mean i agree um with with perez i think um you know i think it just kind of depends like for him he's betting on himself too because if his breakout this year if it was real he could turn that into a three-year deal after his age 32 season if he can repeat what he did this past year uh there was a little bit of a luck involved but his peripherals were pretty good this year so um you know, I think he could. He's not going to put up a two eighty nine ERA again, but if he puts up a you know mid threes ERA, if he can do that, even, I think that could, he could turn that into a nice you know two, three year deal after this season. Uh, so I, I get it for him. And I get it for the Rangers because you know you're paying a guy who you feel like might be a number three. You might be overpaying him a little bit, but you've got no risk on it because it's a one year deal. And the Rangers have tons of money to spend. He's going to come off the books after this year if he's not good. So. Uh, I get it from their end, uh, and and if he de- did decide to sign somewhere else, then you know if you're the Rangers, you get a draft pick. So I kind of get it on their end too. And the Jock Peterson, I, you know, for a team that's been talking an awful lot about trying to go after Aaron Judge, signing a guy to twenty million dollars, uh, one year twenty million dollars, who's a platoon outfielder, seems a little bit weird. But uh, I mean, you know, I think Jock Peterson plays is, is a great his role and i mean he's they he's a great clubhouse guy too uh for his year with the braves that he had you know i can tell you i can you know i remember how great of a clubhouse guy is and i know damien could probably tell you and david he's played for all three of our yeah. teams yeah how great of a clubhouse guy jock peterson is so uh he had a good season this year but um i don't i don't see him putting up uh, the same stat line he put up this year but he's you know 
he's only 30 years old, which is kind of crazy. I, I, I thought he was older than that. So, Well, I, I love this move for Jock Peterson because of what we were just talking about with Tyler Anderson, the shift being gone. Like right. that's going to open up a lot for Jock Peterson now. And it's a smart move for his market because now that he's taken the qualifying offer, he can't get the qualifying offer again. So if the shift, you know, being gone now does improve what Jock Peterson can do offensively, he goes into the market next year as, you know, a still young 30 year, 31 year old with a ton of power and no shift now and no qualifying offer. Like he can, he has a big opportunity this year to really show if he's able to expand that offensively, not saying he's going to do much more against left-handed pitching, but maybe he's able to up that just enough to be at least playable a little bit um, because of that shift. Um, But it'll be really interesting. And I think he just fits a lot with the giants. He's from that Northern California area. Um, You know, he has the history with the, the GM who or the president of baseball operations, who was a Dodgers GM Kapler, who was, um, you know, a a minor league um, assistant or, or whatever it was as Jock Peterson was coming up through the Dodgers minor league system. So he has a lot of familiarity there as, as with the, the team, the front office and with the area of being close to home. David. Uh, yeah, he's I see. Here's the thing. I don't know why the giants would have, I don't know. I know, you know, the one the giants wanted to return him, but it's, this is one of those things where it does feel like they're, kind of they're outsmarting themselves a little bit i don't know that you know betting on jock peterson to have a really big breakout season and with the shift limitations is i don't know if this works it works i don't think it prohibits them from signing judge but it does create some of that roster clutter that you know if you're looking to over you know overhaul your roster you don't want to run into where you can go back to, to try to sign Jock Peterson if he's still available in February, but he's not make or break in terms of whether or not you want to change your um, your roster outlook. So I'm I'm ultimately a little lukewarm on this move, but from the Giants side, but like for Jock's side, like Jock's been paid twenty million this year. Like, go for it, man. Hell yeah, let's yeah. you know, let's go. Hopefully he he go he breaks out. I did like Jock. I liked when he was with the Cubs. It was cool. So. Uh, hopefully, you know, this is the, the time where the shift kind of opens up some of these guys that are big pool hitters. Yeah. And one other point on jock and, and Martin Perez is look at the markets, um, yeah. of the positions they're at. I mean, yeah. jock, the corner outfield market is very cluttered this year. I mean, there's not a bunch of high end guys this year, but there's other than judge, which he's not really a left fielder or DH guy anyways, but, uh, you know, there's Andrew Benintendi, there's Mitch Hanniger. There's, you know, there's all kinds of these corner outfielders that are, you know, that are, that are good, but not like, you know, Jock mm-hmm. Peterson, obviously that are good, but not like elite, you know? And then, um, you know, at the starting pitching market though, you're looking at like, you know, the, the, the two elite guys, Verlander to Grom. And then, I mean, it's not a, you know, especially with the need for starting pitching, there's not, it's not a great market. So, I mean, honestly, I, I'm. I feel like Jock Peterson's probably going to get paid more through the qualifying offer than he would have gotten paid on a one-year deal somewhere else. And then, but Martin Perez, on the other hand, I think you know he is going to get paid more, but he could have probably been close. To, it probably could have made it a somewhat close decision with some multi-year deals he could have gotten. 
So I don't know. Um, he probably didn't get the three, third year like Tyler Anderson did. Probably why Martin Perez would have accepted. But I mean, I I think I think Martin Perez maybe could have gotten a deal that that rivals the qualifying offer. He just wanted to bet on himself and go back to Texas too, as opposed to, um, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, taking a multi-year deal and maybe, maybe not maximizing his value if he repeats this season. So. Yeah. And he's mentioned that he wants to stay in Texas yeah. anyways, uh, cause it's pretty started his career, but, um, you know, going over to it's, it was still kind of within that qualifying offer decision. Um, Anthony Rizzo did decline the qualifying offer, but then, you know, immediately ended up getting a deal with the Yankees, a two-year, $34 million deal um, with a $17 million club option for 2025 uh, that has a $6 million buyout. So it, it's a two-year, basically $40 million total guarantee if that buyout is is taken by the Yankees. Yeah, Rizzo's, um, he loved that short porch last year. He still didn't get to 33 home runs. He's hit 32 home runs like four times uh, in his career, but he's never gotten to 33. I really thought it would be the year, but then he got hurt down the stretch and didn't get there. Um, but clearly, like Yankee Stadium, definitely changed up his approach where he's gone from being a kind of all fields guy that he was with the Cubs to a pull power, you know, selling out for that pull power guy. Um, but, you know, with the shift being gone, I think Rizzo's batting average is going to shoot up. He's one of those guys who got robbed by that all the time, um, kind of to where it was egregious. So, Rizzo's Rizzo's deal here is it's I think fairly low because it looks like Jose Abreu is going to get like 20 maybe a little more than that and then you've got the first base market's pretty weak after that so you know Trey Mancini Josh Bell some of these guys but I I think Rizzo's smart to stick with the Yankees they're probably the best location for him um and if you're turning if he's turning down the qualifying offer this is about the best he's going to do um, his back is ten tends to flare up in the middle of the season, um, but you know, in term for the Yankees, this is the guy they really love. Rizzo's a great clubhouse guy. It, you know, all the all the check marks are there. The one thing is that he had a a deal with the Cubs. Before they, like a he was kind of mocking in the media low ball call, like offer the Cubs made him before they traded him in 2021, um, and it ultimately was more overall money than what he's earned the last couple of years. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I, you know, watching him sign a deal for what is this 40, 40 million guaranteed? Like, you know, we offered him 70 million guaranteed and he turned it down. And it's just the kind of thing that, you know, I, I hate to see him go. The guy caught the the final out of the 2016 world series, but you know, he's happy now. He's, he's clearly in a place that's thriving. So I wish him the best, but uh Man, it sure does look like he kind of stumbled a little bit there when he didn't sign that contract extension they offered him. Yeah, you look at Anthony Rizzo as a guy, and the way I look at him, because you know I look at him a little differently, because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fan of the, you know, he's famous for being a Cub. So, but um, oh god, oh, did we lose we him again? We lost him. All right. Well, we don't know what Matt was going to say, but something about Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo. But we'll just go ahead. We'll just go ahead and move on. Um, and you know, if he he comes back in, we'll pick it up um, back then. But uh, we'll go ahead and start with the the kind of rash of trades that happened, kind of all in a row, a little bit. And the, the first one's a little. It's a minor trade when you look at the surface, but once you dig into it, it could, could be a very big deal. And that's with the Colorado Rockies and Cleveland Guardians uh, swinging a trade. The Colorado Rockies receive 
um, Nolan Jones, while the Guardians receive Juan Brito. Uh, Nolan Jones is a you know top 100 prospect on a lot of boards. I mean, I believe on Fangraphs he's still 85 um, right now. Basically, just didn't have a spot in, in Cleveland anymore with the uh, you know the infield really being shored up by uh, Jose Ramirez and, and Andreas Jimenez at second base, Josh Naylor at first base now. Uh, so it gets him to Colorado for you know a place where his power can really go wild and then they get a solid prospect back in Juan Brito. Yeah. The thing that this trade tells my man me here. The, the thing that this trade tells us is that, um, am I unmuted? I am unmuted. Yeah, you are. The thing that, the thing that this trade tells us is that, uh, our prospect lists are not what the industry sees because Juan Brito is not on any prospect list. He's not in the top 100. He's just kind of, he was kind of just like a 15th ranked prospect in the organization, but you look into it, look at his numbers. The guy averages a 400 on base percentage everywhere he goes. Um, and he's been well above league average as a hitter. He plays second base. He's got speed. He's stolen a bunch of bases. And as a 20 year old in high a, he was absolutely dominant this year. So the industry is looking at that and seeing, you know, a skilled, a skilled player, maybe moving him up there, leaderboards where you know what we have access to isn't necessarily as high and no kind of the inverse of that is that nolan jones is on everybody's top 100 leaderboards and the guardians just shipped him out i mean they they could have played him at dh they could have played him at you know corner outfield but they moved on from him and that much is kind of surprising i think because a lot of us would have said oh man nolan jones top 100 player you know one he's gonna fetch a lot more than that and two you know he's the you know got a lot of skill and in, in cores now he may be you know one of those guys who can really put it all together but if the guardians are shipping him out man i think they may really see something wrong with that contact rate yeah it's going to be really interesting you know in only 94 major league plate appearances um you know he, he had that 33 percent strikeout rate that's kind of been close to his average throughout his minor league career but he's always been able to to hit enough um and, and walk enough to uh you know to deal with that his walk rate was really good i mean even you know through his minor league career you're talking about close to a 15 percent average walk rate um and wasn't able to repeat that but it's gonna be really interesting to see what you know what it looks like in colorado for him where he's able to play because they have a really good infield as well um and then you know what the the juan burrito move looks like for cleveland if he ends up being a bench batter or a trade opportunity later for them yeah, if I can, if I can hop in here, I'm sorry for the technical difficulties. I'm, my internet, I guess, froze for a second. I don't know. It's been doing that lately. I don't know what's going on with it. But I was going to mention on this trade, Nolan Jones is a guy who he's a super high strikeout guy and poor contact guy. But he and he hits for a lot of power. But he doesn't hit for he, his raw power is great. But his game power, he doesn't hit for enough power to overcome the contact rate. I mean, you look at like. You know, 2021 and 100 games at 13 homers at AAA. 2022 and 55 games at nine homers at AAA. That's like mid 20s home run uh, per season. And you, if you're striking out 30 percent of the time, and you're you know pretty much just a power hitter, uh, I know he's got a good walk rate too, but I just don't believe in that. And then obviously the defense, we don't really know where he's going to be able to play. So um, kind of a you know a guy who you know he'd have to cut that straight he'd, he'd have to either swing change and really tap into that raw or he'd have to cut down that strikeout rate a little bit and he's also a you know he's also what 25 years old almost so um 
you know, that also doesn't help him because he's kind of getting up there for a prospect, you know, a guy who hadn't had, didn't have much big league experience. So, Well, the good news is the Colorado Rockies are famous for being able to, you know, make players better. Um, well, no, it, it, I, I think he will actually succeed in Colorado to some extent where that home, the altitude may help his home run rate kind of push up, even though he tends to hit for less in-game power. Hopefully, you know, some of those fly balls he hits are going to get out and he'll be able to, you know, up that slugging to kind of match the profile. Absolutely. So let's jump on over to our next trade. It's probably the biggest trade that we'll talk about, but that's with the Seattle Mariners and Toronto Blue Jays uh, swinging their trade with Seattle acquiring Teoscar Hernandez and Toronto receiving relief pitcher Eric Swanson and left-handed pitcher Adam Mako. I love Teoscar Hernandez, man, and he's a spark plug in an offense. He's hits the ball a ton. One of those guys, very swing heavy, kind of reminds you of a little bit of Javi Baez, but back maybe more when he was making a little more contact. Um, and T. Oscar just hammers the ball. You know, one of those guys that's high up there in the exit velocities does not have a defensive position at all. And so, you know, the, the Mariners will look to plug him in at DH and in left field and try to hide him away, kind of like the, the Blue Jays did. But the Blue Jays were very rich in these types of players between Vlad Jr., T. Oscar, Lourdes Gurriel, a bunch of guys who were kind of the first base, left field, you know, DH-only type of guys and uh, all right-handed as well. So we know the Blue Jays are looking to get a bit, little bit more left-handed and uh, – you know, being able to swing T. Oscar for a major league reliever, I think, is a, a reasonable move. But again, we're seeing relievers just get a high value placed on him because T. Oscar Hernandez is the kind of guy who can, uh, you know, be carrying an offense for a couple of weeks once he's on. So um, I just I, I like this deal for the Mariners a lot because um, the Mariners tend to just be pulling relievers out of nowhere. You know, Paul Seawald, Eric Swanson, these types of guys have just kind of shot up out of nowhere and. That's kind of how relievers are born in today's MLB, but uh, you know the the you know at the same time Adam Mako is a good starting pitching prospect. The, the Blue Jays are going for their weakness; they're trading from a, a position of strength. So ultimately, I, I think this is a good deal for the Blue Jays, but they will miss T. Oscar over there. Yeah, and you know T. Oscar Hernandez, you, you compared him to Javi Baez. I think a good comparison for T. Oscar Hernandez is Marcelo Zuna. Uh, yeah, for the yeah. issues he's had mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, but he's a guy who you know he's, he's very reliant on you know Babbitt to a certain level. Hits a lot of home runs, uh, doesn't, doesn't walk a lot, you know, strikes out a good bit. But his quality of contact is really really good. Hits the ball hard. Uh, he's he can play the outfield, but he's not really good there. Um, you know, he's kind of a below average defender. Uh, I think he's you know he's a solid player. Uh, a good, good everyday player in a lineup. And I think that, you know, as good as the Mariners were this past year, they need that. Um, you know, I think they really need a, you know, they, they, they're losing Mitch Hanniger too. They really need a corner outfield DH type guy that they can count on to, to hit pretty well and just add some thump to that lineup. But that's what they got here. And I was a little confused about the, about the, the Blue Jays trading him, but I think the Blue Jays might have a little bit of a master plan here where they want, they want to get a center fielder. I think they want to move George Springer to right field. They want a left-handed hitting center fielder. I think it's kind of what they want because I've heard that, you know, there's been rumors out mm-hmm. there that they might be in on Brandon Nimmo and, and Cody Bellinger's out there now too, is left-handed hitting center fielder. So I think that you might look at 
those couple of those types of guys that they might kind of re retool a little bit their their outfield by moving Springer and, and maybe bringing a little bit more defense into center field because Springer is still fine out there, but he's not a great defender in center anymore. You could put him in right, and you know obviously you've got plenty of options for DH there. So uh, I think that um, you know I think it's just kind of a move where they're maybe freeing up a little bit of money too. I know Teoscar Hernandez isn't owed, owed a lot of money, but you know you're freeing up a little bit. He's an ARB guy, so. Um, you know, and then kind of freed up that, that spot. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then Eric Swanson, he's real similar to those other relievers we were talking about earlier. Has yep. no track record until 2022, but was awesome in 2022. It's 53 innings. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, he's not quite the same because he's not the high fastball velocity guy like those other guys were. Um, especially especially Suarez, you know, averaging 98 on his fastball. But this, you know, he averages 94, which is fine. It's good. Probably an average reliever. Uh, very good. Um, I think, uh, you know, he's a very good, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's a solid trade for, for the, for the Mariners. And I think the Blue Jays, it's understandable. I, you know, trading a guy like Teoscar Hernandez, not the most fun thing to do for a contender, but you know, I understand why they did it. So. Yeah. So the big thing is Eric Swanson has like, I believe it's three years or four years left of club control. Um, and Teoscar Hernandez is going to be a free agent after next season. So this basically signals to a move to me that the Blue Jays were not going to really look to re-sign Teoscar Hernandez to the type of contract that he was probably going to want. I assume they probably even have had some you know extension talks already with him before they, this this trade. Um, and then it opens up with what Matt was saying with wanting to you know, probably potentially move Springer over to the to right field and, and get a center fielder there. And it it gives them a you know a high leverage kind of relief pitcher and then a solid starting pitching. Uh, prospect that they can bring in and that's the thing that they, they've been really good recently with their young starting pitching um, as well but let's jump over to the other trade that involves the seattle mariners um, it's kind of all within all of this is they they acquired an outfielder and then they turned around and traded one away so the seattle trades kyle lewis to arizona for outfield slash catcher more of a catcher cooper hummel yeah so kyle lewis is i think he was a 2020 al rookie of the year Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, last year he was hurt and he was ineffective. Um, and Arizona has, I believe, five MLB outfielders that are all left handed and two AAA outfielders knocking down the door that are also left handed. Um, so they really needed to get more right handed in the outfield. <laughs> so they, they go out and get Kyle Lewis. He can play center field. That allows them to kind of probably use him and Corbin Carroll in center. They also have Alec Thomas. They also have Jake McCarthy. All of those guys are all left-handed, and they have Dalton Varsho, who's also left-handed. So they're, they really needed to get more right-handed in the outfield, and I don't think they're done. I think some of those guys could be on the move later, but you know, this is a start, and Cooper Hummel is another one of the – I don't know where they get in these – Dalton Varsho and Cooper Hummel, these outfield catcher hybrids. Um, that's a very Arizona thing to have because they're about the only one who has that, so um, – yeah, Hummel to the to the Mariners. I think that's a he's a, he's like a back end top one hundred guy. You know, you heard his name a few times, but I don't know that he'll be more than like league average or anything for Seattle. But they do capitalize, get a a decent prospect. I think at, at the major league level for for Kyle Lewis, which is good value given that he didn't play at all last year and was very ineffective when he did. Yeah, I agree with uh. On- 
you know, Kyle Lewis, he, I mean, he went, you know, say he's ineffective last year, he only played in 18 games, but he, yeah, he, in the 18 games, he was not effective. But, uh, I mean, they just, you know, they're getting Teoscar Hernandez. They've got Julio Rodriguez in center field. They don't really need that, you know, probably corner outfield is where Kyle Lewis needs to play uh, right-handed bat anymore. So, um, I mean, they it's worth it to ship him off. And, you know, they got somebody interesting in return. So, I, I get that trade 100%, um, you know. But we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here. Um I don't think it's going to end up being that huge of a deal. I mean, Kyle Lewis has some form of value. Maybe he can, he was a former high draft pick, top prospect, had that good 2020 season, even though it's short season was fine in 2021. You know, it's kind of a guy who's probably should be, well, he only played 36 games in 2021 and he was fine. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens there, but I, I don't, you know, I think he's going to probably end up settling into being a decent everyday player. That's not like a, star or anything but he's gonna be fine as a everyday player so yeah he'll be he'll be fine there he's if he can get the injuries under control i mean he's dealt with a knee and then he's dealt with concussion um this last year he really dealt with i think two concussions um like he had one and i think it was out took him out for like about a month or so and then he came back and then it was like not even two or three games later he sustained another concussion um like running into the wall um, so if, if he can really get the injuries under control, I think he'll be a solid player. You know, the 30% strikeout rate, you know, right around there for his career, it's not great, but he really hasn't had much time to develop in, you know, the major leagues either. I mean, we're talking about 130 career games. It's not even a full season yet. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's been up there for four, you know, parts of four seasons. So I think it's a good move for Arizona. You get a right-handed guy, you are probably buying low on him. And if you're able to turn him into what he was that 2020 season, um, you know, you, you got a steal there and you're trading a guy who, you know, you really didn't have room for there. Um, and, and then it opens you up to where you have a really good outfield. And then you have some guys that you can potentially move um, in another, another deal. If you're, you know, really wanting to be competitive, but let's go ahead and jump over to our last trade of the episode that we have. And that's with the uh, Los Angeles angels and the Minnesota twins, uh, making the trade with the Angels acquiring infielder Gio Urshela for prospect Alejandro Hildago. Yeah, uh, I was a little surprised at this trade. You know, Gio Urshela was—he's a kind of kind of like I was talking about earlier with with her. He's a he's a perfectly fine everyday player. Like he's not a star. He's not you know like a guy who should be on the bench. He's not a replacement level. He's a perfectly fine everyday player, and he, he's a decent third baseman defensively. He's a a little bit of an above average hitter, probably maybe more average typically, but he's, he's fine. And, um, you know, he, he's worth it. He's worth, you know, being on an, you know, in an MLB lineup. So, uh, the angels need those depth types of pieces. Uh, I don't know what this really means with Rendon, but you know, Gio Urshela and Rendon are both third basemen. I know Rendon's played some second base in his career. Um, you know, Rendo might, since he's not with the injury so much, he might DH some this year, if I had to guess. Um, you know, but we'll see what ends up happening. But, I mean, they're both pretty solid players. Um, so, I know Urshela did play some shortstop in 2021, maybe. He played two games there this year. Yeah, I think I think the um, Yankees had him playing shortstop some, yeah. though. and Or they were, their plan was to play him at shortstop some. And, you know, maybe the... Maybe the Angels feel like he could be more of a kind of a utility infielder type too. So, 
uh, second base maybe with Fletcher can play short or something. Or they like like we talked about earlier, they might go into the shortstop market. But uh, they definitely needed something, and they traded a guy who, I mean, Hidalgo is, you know, he's a he's top good. twenty prospect for them. But you know, he's got high strikeout numbers in in you know in A ball. So kind of a you know project, you know, far away guy, high walk rate, command's not really there yet. But maybe he ends up being something down the road. It's kind of hard to say. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, one of those utility infield type things. Uh, I think there was some rumors that maybe he was going to potentially be the second baseman, and then Fletcher was going to be shortstop. Um, but it, you know, plenty of time to to figure that out on what they're actually going to do there um, in in the long term with that one. But um, you know, that's pretty much it for the the roster moves uh, that we've had as as far as the the completed trades and, and signings that we've had so far. Um, one little bit of news that we did, it's something we mentioned throughout the year, um, was Bryce Harper. You know, he had had that right elbow injury. Um, it was um, stated, I believe, last Wednesday, I believe, by one of the Philly re- reporters that he will be having UCL surgery this upcoming Wednesday, so tomorrow as we're technically recording this. Um, they're not sure if it's going to be Tommy John surgery or not, so they're not quite sure of a timetable. Um, but it's probably fair to say that he'll miss the start of the season at least. Anybody? I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's tough, but you know he'll be back. And the Phillies are—it just showed us that you don't have to win all your games to get to the World Series. So I think they'll be okay without him for a few, maybe a month, maybe. Yeah, I think part of it depends on if it's Tommy John. It probably limits him from being able to play the outfield much at all next year. He'd probably have to DH all year again, uh, which does hurt the Phillies a pretty good bit because of having Schwarber and regular season Castellanos defensively. Um, so I think, um, you know, that's tough if you're the Phillies to have those guys play corner outfield again and not DHing. but, you know, obviously it's possible, I guess it's possible that he could be back to be able to throw, you know, sometime during the next season where he could play outfield again. So we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, not ideal, but I mean, you're Harper's values in his bat. I mean, he's really only a marginally better defender than Schorber and, and Castellanos, he's better for sure, but he's not like some elite defender or anything. So uh, that's not really why you've got him. And, uh, you know, if he can play, you know, maybe miss the first month or something from his surgery, depending on what it is. But I, I, I don't think it's that that big of a deal. The, the only thing that really does hurt, too, is the fact that he might miss a bit of offseason, you know, just workouts and stuff, which could, could affect him next year. But we'll see what happens. Um, hopefully he recovers quickly and is back to being himself soon. So. Yeah, just hoping that it's not Tommy John um, yeah. for sure on that one. But uh, let's go ahead and jump to the non-tenders, and then we'll come back to the uh, to the awards there at the end. But um, the non-tender deadline was this last Friday. We've had some real notable names, um, you know, be non-tendered here. We had a, a former MVP, a, a home run champ, um, some good top prospects that, or former top prospects at least. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with the big one. And I know David's itching to say oh, this yeah. one and I don't want to talk about it. So if David mysteriously disappears in the middle of talking, I didn't do it. I promise. Wink, wink. But that's with the Los Angeles Dodgers um, non-tendering 2019 NL MVP Cody Bellinger. It's it's okay. I'm I'm gonna butter him up. I'm gonna talk oh, good about him. I, I know. Just I'm not ready for this. All right. I know. I know. It, it's tough, right? Um, but. Cody Bellinger is coming to the free agent market is an incredible opportunity for 
about 25 teams. Um, how often do former MVPs come available as free agents in their 20s with a guarantee for a one-year deal? I would say this is either unprecedented or maybe once before in a weird, in a different weird situation, but it's, I can't recall the last time that a former MVP is on the, on for a one year deal in his twenties, like Bryce Harper signed for 13 years. I, this is a huge opportunity for a ton of teams. You know, we talked about the blue Jays, obviously I'm going to mention the Cubs. They, they have a need in center field. They just DFA'd Rafael Ortega, but there's there's a fit on every team that doesn't already have a superstar center fielder where you could be the team to be Cody Bellinger's change of scenery team that he goes to and figures it out. Um, And you could, that would give you either first chance to trade him at the deadline. If you were a team that's selling or a team that is uh, contending gets a guy who has MVP upside with gold glove defense and center field. This is a, massive opportunity and it it absolutely shakes the floor of the free agent pool where i think a lot of teams have turned their attention to this the question is is cody bellinger fixable it can you get that swing to at least be a league average bat because he hasn't been league average in a couple of years and it's tough to to see that happen because cody bellinger is a, was a superstar i mean this guy came up as as a 22 year old and just dominated so you know that's there this is not like a lot of people are complaining and I've seen it, especially in the Cubs fandom of people are like, Oh, $20 million for a center fielder. That's crazy. This, this is an opportunity to sign a guy who could win the MVP this year because he's already done it. You know? So you, you've got, you can't overpay for this opportunity. I don't think any team can overpay for Cody Bellinger this season because you know, if he doesn't perform, he's not going to get a big free agent deal, but he'll be a free agent next year. Right. Like he can absolutely go out there and earn himself a long term contract. He just needs to prove that he can go out and, you know, erase the memories of 2021 and 2022 versions of him. Yeah. So I don't 100 percent agree, but I agree to a certain level. I think that you definitely can overpay for Cody Bellinger, depending on what your team's payroll is and what they're looking at, because I don't think there's a very high chance that Cody Bellinger is good this year i think he, there's a chance that he's okay last year in you know 2022 you know with the def factoring in the defense he was okay i mean he was abysmal at the plate again but his defense and base running helped him become you know a you know, maybe a regular everyday player 2021 he was one of the worst players in baseball uh, a 47 wrc plus he was 2020 he was pretty mediocre um, but he wasn't awful. Um, you know, 2019 obviously was his MVP, MVP year. He, he really hasn't been a, a star level player since 2019, 2020. He was probably a, an above average player. And since then he's been not good. So, I mean, his swing is so broken right now. It, it's, I don't think it's something that you could just immediately snap your fingers and find something and fix. Now, what a team could do is I think that the market that works for him is teams that have a lot of money to spend payroll wise this year and have a, have an opening in center field that are maybe wanting to compete again. Like a team like you mentioned the Cubs. I think that's a good landing spot for Cody Bellinger because, or maybe the Rangers teams that have a lot of money to spend this off season and, you know, they could take on that reclamation project because teams like, like, you know, that like the Braves or the Astros or the, you know, 
some of, some of those types of teams that are pretty close to their limit on payroll, they're probably going to be needing to maximize value on their deals. They can't take on 15 to $20 million. It's going to be potentially just thrown out the window to, because it's a high risk player. But you know, if he hits and he, he turns back into say 2018 Cody Bellinger, then he's fantastic. So uh, we'll see what happens. I think that this is a move that could be one of the best moves of the off season. But and and depending on what team it is, it could be a bad move. But I think it's hard for it to be a bad move on a one-year deal if you if it's not costing you the opportunity to do something else this offseason. Like you know, for example, like if it's costing you the ability to sign, you know, if you, if you have the payroll space to sign Carlos Correa and then you go out and sign Cody Bellinger instead, and that limits your ability to sign Correa, then that's stupid. But you know, signing. Cody Bellinger, if you've got a ton of money to spend, then I think that's a great move to make because it's, you know, one-year deals were at low risk. So, But we'll see what happens. I think, um, you know, I think there's a chance he figures it out, but I think it's a fairly low chance. But You're paying for that chance, though, with yeah. that bigger oh, yeah. salary. Is, is How often do you sign a guy for a one-year deal with the knowledge that there's absolutely – a non-zero chance that this guy goes out and is the best player in the league this year. It, it never happens. That's, that's yeah. not something that happens. It doesn't matter whether that's a one-year deal for $1 million or a one-year deal for 20 That yeah. does not happen. I agree. That's so. why, you're, That's why. He, I mean, if you go back off his last two years, he's going to get a one-year $2 million deal. Right. If you're going off of his history in total, that's, you know, it's like a $15 million bet that he's going to figure it out. I mean, so, you know, you're, you're gambling Ain't my but, money you know well yeah i mean i just say it in general like i mean hey yeah. that's what i say all the time it ain't my money i mean the braves yeah. have a 500 million dollar payroll it ain't my money but well you know the if you're, if you're just team, to seem friendly deals yeah, but if you're well yeah it's true but if you're if you're you know if your ownership yeah. you know i don't want to get into that discussion because we don't have all night but if your ownership has a limit you know and you say well you know, and and you say say your ownership says you you can have to keep it under two thirty, or or else, then and you sign Cody Bellinger when you're already at two hundred, then that's dumb. So that's fa- that's opinion. fair, and that's why I say I didn't say like oh, every team should sign him, but like yeah. this is an opportunity that yeah. imagine the Pirates signed him right, and he yeah. he goes to Pittsburgh and figures yeah. something out, right, and David, then stop. I'm gonna oh, I know, know, but like and then they trade him at the deadline for something bigger, and he can go without qualifying offer into free agency next season traded to the Dodgers for uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he he could still get qualifying offered but um, not if you get so traded midseason let me let me like I have so much I could say about this Cody Bellinger is my favorite player in the league so I am very unhappy about this from from the Dodgers fan perspective but to say that Cody Bellinger is completely broken is from a guy who's watched him every single day it's wrong, yeah. right? Cody Bellinger this year, even with as broken swing as you, as, as everyone wants to say, he still hit 19 homers. He hit 27 doubles. He's doing that off off of rehabbing a shoulder surgery from 2020 off season or the, 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 uh, the 2020 postseason into 2021 off season. He had the shoulder surgery there was rehabbing. That wasn't hundred percent when the season started was playing through that and then got his leg fractured played most of 2021 through a hairline fracture in his right leg. Okay. Then this year still hit 19 homers, 
Still, he ended up getting back to stealing bases, stole 14 bases there. We want to say about his 27% strikeout rate there. The thing about watching Bellinger, if you just look at the strikeout rate, you say, oh, that's bad. He's not walking and he's striking out a lot because his walk rate has dropped down to 7%. Cody Bellinger worked the the at-bats a lot more than he's ever worked at-bats in his career. He was 10th in the major leagues in pitches per plate appearance this year. So he was consistently working deep into counts. The only hole that he really, really had this year in his swing, the only hole that, that it was what people took advantage of every single time. And if you could fix this one thing about his swing, he would go back to being a at least 250 hitter. And I bet he hits close to 30 home runs was getting him to shorten up and hit a high fastball. A fastball at 97 or above at the top of the zone is what he struggles with. If you throw it middle to low in the zone, he is very, very good at that. And he's able to shorten up his swing and take it the other way on certain ones if it's away. And if it's in, he's able to pull that. He still has all the power in the world. He still has he's, his speeds come back now that he's not on a fractured leg anymore. If he has a healthy offseason with his shoulder, no leg, no rehabbing, and working the entire offseason on a swing, could you imagine what you're going to get out of a guy who, with as broken as everyone's saying he is, still hit 20 homers this year, still stole about the amount of bases he was stealing when he was the MVP, and played just about as good defense as he's ever played in his career? 92nd percentile and outside yeah. of average in center field, yeah. by the way. I mean, he's, great. he's a great defensive in base runner. I'll give you that. And when I say broken, I mean at the plate, at the, in the field. and at the, He's not a broken I, I, player. I, I, he's not a bad I'm not player. Saying, I'm saying but, broken yeah. is a swing. I, That's, that, I yeah. keep hearing That's broken swing, broken swing. His swing's not broken. Yeah. If, if you the, cannot the, hit a is all it is. I mean, <laughs> no, I, his swing's not broken. He has a hole in his swing. If his swing was broken, he wouldn't hit 19 homers. Okay. Right. I, right. You know. Oh, and 27 doubles. Like, you wouldn't do that with a broken swing, right? I mean, a change of scenery. I, mean, I think he needs a change of scenery, for sure. Yep. He needs he needs a, a full off season of not rehabbing an injury, which he hasn't had since that 2020 season, and get him into a thing where he's able to actually focus that offseason on, on factoring into the high fastball thing, which has always been a hole in his swing. The high fastball has always been a problem for him. Not gonna, I, mean, I will say that. But this, it's been worse the last couple of years. Yeah. Can you get it back to what it was in that 2019 area? There's absolutely still room there for that. He's he's very much a a project, and yeah. you know the from but what but what I I am encouraged by was that in 2022 everything started trending the right direction. The exit velocity went up. the The hard hit rate went up. The right the the pitches per plate appearance went up. This is not a a guy who's buried and dead. I think there's very much a lot of room here to improve. And um, like I said, when you've got a, a guy, you know, has the, the tools to go in and, and win an MVP available for a one year deal. Uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of suitors. This, this is going to be one of the most interesting free agent spots and landing spots. And, you know, as a Cubs fan who, which is a team that needs left-handed power and center field defense, this is a perfect, perfect storm of, of opportunity. I, I'm I'm high on it. I'm excited about it. You know, it, the, the Blue Jays are going to be you know suitors. There's gonna, the Dodgers might still come back for them. Like there's a lot of of still opportunity for other teams to go in, and, and that's why I just want to say like this is a 
the massive opportunity for if your team needs some center field help or you know is looking to add that kind of pop that can take them over the top this is the kind of move that you got to be excited about yeah it really is i mean he's the for sure probably the top bounce back candidate for for the free agency market right now but looking at other notable non-tenders we had dominic smith from the mets who had a you know really good 2020 has really struggled to, to crack the lineup for them the last couple of years um consistently luke voigt we had a 2020 home run champ for the uh for the new york yankees you know got traded to the padres this year and then got traded at the deadline for uh as part of that juan soto deal um and then alex reyes who was a former top prospect uh for the cardinals you know, starter was never able to stay healthy, been relegated to the bullpen. Um, and then the last kind of big, big name was, was Heimer Candelario, who was you know really good the last couple seasons for the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say Heimer Candelario's, you know, in 2021 had to put up four wins above replacement was a really solid player. Um, you know, had good numbers. He's a former top prospect. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know why Detroit would just give up on him after one year that he was bad because, I mean, I don't, you know, they need players who are not bad. So I don't know why they would not tender him. Uh, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and another guy on there, Brian Anderson, too. Uh, he has had a rough couple of years. But, um, you know, he's he's been a pretty valuable player before, too. So, I, I mean, he's a guy that I probably, you know, he's kind of a borderline non If I would have non-tendered him, he's dealt with a lot of injuries the last couple of years. But when he's been on the field, he's been a fine player. He's been about a league average hitter. This year he wasn't great, but, uh, you know, 2018 to 2021, he was a, a, an average to above average hitter, played good defense, uh, has a really good arm. So I'm a little surprised Miami non-tendered him, although with, when it comes to Miami, they just don't have the, the money to, you know, to pay our guys if they're not key pieces of their team. So uh, I get why they did it, but... Those are a couple guys that I might take a look at um, as potential, um, you know, as potential guys to, to maybe take a chance on along with obviously not to the level of Bellinger, but along with Bellinger. Hammer, Jemmer Candelario hit 42 doubles in 2021. He led the AL in doubles. Um, really, really like him. Uh, he was a Cubs prospect back when Chris Bryant was playing third base for the Cubs. They shipped him off to Detroit to try to get better and, uh, he's he made it himself a nice little career there, and I'm certainly hoping he comes home. But I think he's another one where there's a lot of good opportunity there. Detroit's such a cavernous ballpark. That guy had hit 40 some odd doubles there. You know, give him a, a a shorter porch or another equally you know a better hitter friendly park, and he might he might go nuts. So I really like Jamie Candelario for any third base needy team this off season. Yeah, I mean, there were some other non-tenders, but those are the big, real notable ones. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they how their markets develop um, from there, and then we'll go ahead and, and move on to the awards, because I know we want to hit on this before we, we get too, too long on this episode, but uh, we'll go ahead and start with the Rookies of the Year. We had Michael Harris uh, win in the National League, and in the American League, we had Julio Rodriguez. No big surprises on either one of those awards, but what did you guys take from the, those votings? Um. Well, I think when it comes to the NL Rookie of the Year, um, it would have been really, really interesting to find out who would have won it if Spencer Strider didn't get hurt in early September because I think they were really neck and neck. And I think just because Michael Harris was healthy in September, had a pretty good month, I think it kept him from – it gave it to Michael Harris. That would have been really interesting to me. 
Yeah, and I wish Adley Rutschman had started the season in Baltimore. I think yeah. in that case, that would have been a, a real close race. Also, shout out to Jeremy Pena and Stephen Kwan for being really, really good rookies that just didn't have a chance because Julio Rodriguez went absolutely crazy this year. Also, Bobby Witt had a 2020 season and you know didn't even make the top three. So that's yeah, crazy. I was I was going to say, is it not crazy that, that we were talking so much about Bobby Witt before the season and he wasn't even a top top three rookie? I mean, yeah. I, you know, and he was still pretty good. I mean, he wasn't – I don't know if he quite lived up to the – like what people were hyping him up to be as a rookie. I'm not saying he's bad or anything. I think he's going to be a great player in the big leagues. But yeah. just he, he he definitely had some more adjustment time than some people thought he might who were hyping him up a lot. And, uh, and he was still, you know, fourth and, you know, probably the fourth or fifth best rookie. It's pretty crazy. So, yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, now let's jump over to the Cy Young awards, which were pretty much hands down the, the two easiest awards we could have picked. I mean, maybe an AL MVP, but uh, Sandy Alcantara won in the NL and in the AL, Justin Verlander won there, um, both runaway candidates um, as well. And, and we've talked lunch about both of them on the show this year. Yeah. Um, you know, in the NL, uh, you know, Sandy Alcantara definitely deserved a win. Uh, I was kind of surprised Max Fried was the number two, uh, finished second in it. Um, you know, I think he, he obviously had a great season and was deserving. Uh, I think, I thought, I also kind of thought Carlos Rodon, maybe, and Damian won't agree with this, but I thought Carlos Rodon maybe should have been a finalist over Urias. But, I mean, I could see their argument. I think part of it's more of Urias getting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the older votes because of the win total he had, which, I mean, fair enough. He He's on a great team. So, uh, but um, Sandy Alcantara, it didn't matter because Sandy Alcantara easily was going to win. And, and then Justin Verlander, it, this kind of went back to that innings debate again, but he was still the best pitcher in the AL. And congrats to him. I think this is his third one. And coming off of Tommy John, just once again, how, how incredible was it for him? He also got his first World Series win at which is kind of crazy too. He, he had never had a, a pitcher win in the World Series, even though he's a world champion already. But I thought that was pretty crazy. But My only thought here is that Marcus Stroman tweeted me about this like three weeks ago before the awards were even announced that exactly this was going to happen. And, uh, you know, so he was right. That That's all I got to say. All right then. Um, yeah, Julio deserved to be second over Max Free. Just saying. <laughs> um, well, he so wasn't, we'll so. Probably should be. I mean, two one six ERA. Let's go. Let's anyways, go. Anyways, let's jump over to the NL MVP. We had Paul Goldschmidt win there, uh, and then in the AL MVP was probably the easiest award people could have predicted. It was Aaron Judge, and I don't think there was really any question about that one either. Ah man, it, it, Shohei Otani was actually better this season than he was last season, too, yeah. which yeah. is insane. But the dual impact of the pitcher and the and the hitter i don't think we have an appropriate value for and we already awarded shohei otani you know the mvp for doing it and then aaron judge went and had the best offensive season since barry bonds so and, and hit 62 home runs for the first time in the american league since roger Mer- or ever actually so I, you know you have to give it to aaron judge but man shohei otani does deserve some credit for that awesome season and then manny machado you know, kind of single-handedly pulled the Padres into the playoffs there with Fernando Tatis going down and Juan Soto going on a slump as soon as they acquired him. And, um, you know, Manny does deserve some credit. I think he probably had a case to beat out Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt a little better on offense, Manny playing that third-base defense. But, you know, Goldschmidt deserving MVP because he's deserved it before and not gotten it. So it's nice that Goldschmidt does finally get it, even though, you know, he of course he does it for the Cardinals. 
yeah, that was cool for Goldschmidt to finally win. Um, you know, he's been really close a bunch of times. Uh, Goldschmidt actually was third out of the three players in war this year that were finalists. Him, Manny Machado, and Nolan Arnato. Uh, he actually was third. And he's actually tied with Freddie Freeman for third in right. the NL in war, which, uh, you know, obviously Paul Goldschmidt had the best offensive season. He did run a pretty high batting average on balls in play, uh, which obviously that's not a, really a factor in the award, but just in general, kind of looking, looking forward. But, um, I think, uh, you know, I think you honestly could have made a case for all three of them because Nolan Arnato was back to being like an elite, elite defensive player this year. And, uh, you know, I think that Manny Machado obviously carried a playoff team into the playoffs when he probably shouldn't have. And, um, I mean, but Paul Goldschmidt had a great year. That, you know, just a 177 WRC plus. He, he was fantastic. So congrats to him. And, and I mean, the Judge Otani debate. I think Judge was so far and beyond the best hitter in the league that, it almost and playing good defense too and base running good base running like you i mean i just don't think you can i mean i don't think you could take away what he did and you you have to give him the mvp i mean it was the best offensive season in 20 years and it's not like he was playing if he was dh'ing or something maybe you throw tiny up there but like he was playing center field half the time so i mean he was phenomenal so i mean 100 percent. i think aaron judge deserved it and then uh i don't even know i guess did jordan was the other finalist too yeah yeah jordan had another just incredible season yeah yeah. he i think and jordan jordan would have been really maybe even closer i I won't say close to judge or anything but he would have been closer if he, he missed like 30 games almost so um dealt with a little bit of injury but he was fantastic too so yeah i wonder how much the home run record you know, was it was factored into like if Judge yep. hit fifty instead of sixty two, what does that look like then? Does Otani win it? Because Otani wins sure. if he gets fifty. Yeah, I think it's because he what won sixty two. Sixty, sixty on the money instead of sixty two. I think Judge. I think Judge wins if he wins. It's sixty, I think. Yeah, I mean, I same, think, I think same it's WRC plus. I think yeah. mid fifties are probably right there. Right. Is where where the the yeah. transition mark would be. It's really interesting. It's really hard to predict what the pitching side of Otani means compared to the other side yeah. of, you know, what anyone else to do. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about the most valuable player every single year, then it's going to be Otani because he's literally going to be the most valuable player on field-wise. But who had the best season? That's the, yeah. the question that – the age-old question for the MVP voting for yeah. sure. But. I think I think that's this is one, one of those cases where Ward does come into pretty good value because, you know, I know it's not perfect, but – you know, you can add Otani's pitching war to his, you know, war as a position player, as a DH, and you know, I think it that tries to get a good value on how good he is. If you add them together, you know, he's I think he was like like nine this year, so, um, you know, which is typically an MVP year, and he'll probably be at nine just about every year. So he's very good, and you know, obviously Judge is, uh, but Judge, you know, he put up eleven WAR this year. It was like the best season mm-hmm. in forever so right yeah i think we're not fully aware of how valuable that having an ace starting pitcher and you know guy who can hit 30 to 40 homers is on your team yet because only one guy has ever been able to do it so we have nothing to compare it to that kind of versatility it's like having like a guy who can play you know shortstop and third base you know like a ben zobris type of guy but to be able to fill out your starting rotation with that guy is just it's i don't know if we can properly quantify it what we do have tells us that aaron judge was the mvp 
and Shohei Otani still had a better year than he got the MVP for the MVP for last year. So that, that's that's all I I have. Just to it's keep, let's keep it in perspective how good Otani is while saying Aaron Judge just had you know maybe the best season since Barry Bonds. Yeah. Yes. Um, so just a, a housekeeping thing, you know, it, when we record in two weeks, the winter meetings will be happening from December 5th to December 8th. Our next episode will be on the 6th. Um, there's been some rumblings the last week or so saying that Aaron judge could sign before the winter meetings even. Um, so it'll be interesting. If, and if that happens, we'll definitely be back beforehand and with an episode, but anything else you guys want to, you want to hit on or you kind of mentioned before we head off for the next couple of weeks. I don't think so. Um, I think everything's uh, kind of moving at a normal offseason pace right now. Um, you know, last year was obviously weird because of the lockout. So, but I think uh, think everything's moving along kind of, you know, decently. And, uh, you know, looks good for looking good for, uh, you know, going into next year. And, you know, I think it's going to be an exciting offseason. A lot of good, good moves. And uh, excited to see where, you know, some of these players end up. So, it'll be coming up pretty soon. 2023 is still my oyster. It could be anything. It could be great. It could be terrible. Um, so I just want I just want the Cubs to do something at this point. I think that's how yeah. we all feel. Is we're all like, what are they gonna do? So yeah. let's let's go. I'm ready. Let's ready to see some of these moves. I think Judge Judge may be the first domino to fall, and that'll be uh, that'll be useful. I think for those shortstops who really want to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Alrighty. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Bat Flip Podcast, and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks.